John chapter 4 this morning, and I appreciate you being here in uh, Rise Baptist Church this morning. How many glad to be here? Would you raise your hand? Amen. And I'm glad to be here with you as well. I've been looking forward to this week for some time. I know that you've been praying and looking forward to it as well. And my name is Taylor Gillespie. Glad to be here with my beautiful wife, Jessica, over there. We have a little girl with us. Her name's Kylie, and she's almost two years old. And it's good to be in Texas. I was born and raised in Texas. Amen. <laughs> is this microphone on? Let's go ahead and try that one more time. I ought to get a few more amens in that. I'll give you another chance at that. I was born and raised in Texas. Yeah. Hey, I was in Cleveland, just south of Fort Worth. And now we make our home in Arkansas. We've been up in Rogers. That's the northwest corner of Arkansas. We've been there for about four years now. And but we're just always glad when you come back home. And so we're looking forward to just a wonderful week with you. I hope you'll make plans to be with us uh, tonight at 5 o'clock, at Monday and Tuesday at 7 o'clock for these special meetings. And some of you have never been a part of a revival meeting before. That's exciting. And each time we're going to gather here uh, tonight, Monday night, Tuesday night, we're going to sing a few songs. And then we're going to open up the Word of God. We're going to make much of Jesus. That's what we're going to do this week. God's going to work in our lives. And we're going to respond to Him. And, well, we need some revival, don't we? We need God to work in our hearts. We don't need less of God. We need more of God. Would you agree with that? We turn on the news, and our country is in bad shape. And the answer is Jesus Christ. So I hope you'll come and be a part of this. If you're a visitor here this morning, we say a special welcome to you. And trust you got a warm handshake on the way in. And if you're looking for a church to make your uh, place home right here at Rise Baptist Church, this will be a wonderful place to call home. And so I trust you stick around. Let's get to know you just a little bit. Uh, this week. And uh, now listen, I, I'm not from the city. You can probably tell that I'm from the country. It's hard to tell. And so uh, most of the places we, out of the past two weeks, we preach revival meetings in, in the state of Arkansas, out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, they're a little bit more vocal out in the country. So every once in a while, I'll go ahead and say amen, okay? And uh, I know you may not be used to that. Uh, anybody ever been a part of a dead church? You raise your hand. You've been a part of a dead church. There's nothing worse than that. I heard of a church the other day was a dead church. In fact, a man had a heart attack in the service. Flat and I had a heart attack. Uh, they called the paramedics. The paramedics showed up. They carried two men out before they found the right one. It was a dead <laughs> church, okay? And just kidding. But uh, so every once in a while, you at least give me a head nod or something. Let me know you at least have a pulse out there. And I do not preach long because I preach fast. You're going to have to keep up with me. And I'm just a simple Bible preacher, just a simple country preacher. And so I promise you, if you come this week, number one, we're not going to stay long. But number two, you're not going to walk out of here and think, well, that was over my head. I didn't understand that. You will not say that. You may walk away saying, boy, that hit me right between the eyes. But you will not say it went over my head. We're going to put the jelly on the bottom shelf so everybody get a hold of it. And so just simple Bible revival messages this week. In fact, we're going to be preaching messages of hope each and every night. How many knows that folks need hope these days? Don't they? And so you come. We're going to preach messages of hope from God's Word. And I believe that God's going to work in your home, in your life, in your marriage, in your family. Okay? And so let's jump into John chapter 4. Now, normally you're going to find this out. I'm a three-point, alliterated point type of preacher with a point at the end. But this morning I'm going to preach a little bit different. I want to walk you through the narrative of John chapter number 4. If you're familiar with your Bible, you know that John chapter 4 is a famous chapter in the Word of God. And uh, it's no accident that it is side by side with John chapter 3, which is also a famous chapter in the Word of God. In fact, that would be the home of John chapter 3, verse number 16. And at some point in your Christian life, you want to do a study of the comparisons and the contrasts in John chapter 3 and in John chapter 4. John 3 deals with a man. John 4 deals with a woman. John 3, the man seeks out Jesus, but in John 4, Jesus seeks out the woman. In John 3, the meeting with Jesus takes place in the middle of the night. In John chapter 4, the meeting with Jesus takes place in the middle of the day. 
In John chapter 3, Nicodemus was a religious man. He followed all the rules. He lived a morally upright life. He lived a squeaky clean life. But in John chapter 4, it was just the opposite. And the woman at the well lived a very sinful life, a very a wicked life. If I can say it uh, appropriately this morning, the men of that city were familiar with her. And boy, there was a world of difference between the man in John chapter 3 and the woman in John chapter 4, yet they both had the same thing in common, and that was this. They both needed a relationship with Jesus Christ in order to have their sins forgiven and go to heaven one day when they die. And I think one of the great takeaway truths of those two chapters being side by side in the Word of God is this. Nobody is so good that they don't need to be saved, and nobody is so bad that they cannot be saved. Everybody needs to be saved, and everybody is saved the same way, and that is the relationship through faith with the Lord Jesus Christ. The last month this past summer, the summer before, we began a, a new ministry at our church up in Arkansas, and we called it Summer in the Park. And, and basically, the families of our church, different families would rotate. They would come to church Tuesday night, Wednesday night. They would grab an ice chest full of water bottles, a couple of signs, and a stack of church invitations. And they would go to one of our church uh, local parks there in town, and they would kind of set up, and they would pass out water bottles, and then they would invite folks to church. And uh, most people are taking their last around the park, and usually the first lap, they're not really interested in that water bottle, but about the second or third lap, they get a little bit more receptive, so they'll take a water bottle, they'll take an invitation to church. Well, this one particular Saturday in early July, uh, one of our young families, his name's Michael, uh, he and his wife and his kids went, and they set up at one of the local farmer's markets there in town, and of course, Sunday morning, it was hustle and bustle, people were coming and going, and man, they were passing out water bottles right and left, and inviting folks to church, and at one point, a, a, a man... Uh, with a rougher appearance, approached the table. He was pretty heavily tatted up. And he approached the table, and Michael handed him a water bottle. He took it. He said, let me also invite you to our church. To which the man said, well, actually, I probably wouldn't fit in at your church. To which Michael said, actually, I think you would. He said, you see, if they would accept a former meth addict like me, I think they would accept somebody like you. See, just a couple of years ago, uh, Michael was running a meth lab in the basement of his home. He was addicted to drugs. His life was spiraling out of control. He was lost on his way to hell. But one day he came to our church and he heard about Jesus and the invitation was given. And Michael got saved and his wife got saved and their kids eventually got saved. And today they're faithful members of our church and their kids attend our Christian school. You say, what made the difference in that family? Jesus made the difference in that family. Well, I'm thankful Jesus loves broken people. I'm thankful Jesus loves sinful people. I'm thankful Jesus loves people that have made a mess of their life. I'm thankful that Jesus loves people that nobody else loves and people that can't even love themselves. How many thankful for the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ this morning? And if that was ever seen in the Word of God, it's seen right here in John chapter 4 in this encounter with a woman at the well. That's the story I'm going to share with you uh, this morning. Notice the story begins in John chapter 4 and in verse number 3. John chapter 4 Verse number three, the Bible says of Jesus, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Now, normally in the Bible, when you find the word left, it simply means to leave a place, to leave a place. But here it has a stronger meaning than that. It doesn't mean that he just left Judea. It means that he abandoned Judea. Jesus had come to them and offered salvation himself to those people, yet they rejected him, they rejected him, they rejected him. So finally the Bible says that he did not just leave them, but he abandoned Judea. See, here's the scary truth. 
You say no to Jesus enough times and eventually he'll say no to you. You walk out on Jesus enough times and eventually he'll walk out on you. Hey, the Bible says, seek you the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. It is possible to say no to Jesus for the last time. Well, how important is it for someone to come to a service like this and God begins to deal with their heart and begins to show them their need for a Savior and he begins to draw them and convict them and it begins tugging on their heart, yet they resist that and they say no. And they'll say, I know I need to make that decision, but I'll do that later. But unfortunately, later never comes for them. Well, in the matter of salvation, Jesus says today, the devil says tomorrow. And if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've never put your faith and dependence on Him alone to be, your, to, to, to be your personal Savior, you don't need to put that decision off until tomorrow or later. You need to deal with that today. Do not say no to the Lord. There's a danger in that. It goes on to say in verse number 4, and he must needs go through Samaria. Now, when he announced that to the disciples that were with him, that would have been pretty startling. In the Bible times, uh, for the Jews, they had no dealings with the Samaritans. They were considered the half-breeds of that day, half-Jew, half-Gentile. And so they, uh, they, uh, they had no dealings with them. And so if you were going to travel that way, you, you didn't go through Samaria. You went around Samaria. They had no dealings with the Samaritans. Well, how many understands there was some prejudice in that day? How many understands there's some prejudice in our day? But how many say, well, there's no prejudice with Jesus? Amen. And so Jesus says, I must needs go through Samaria because he was on a mission. There was somebody he was getting ready to meet. And he goes on to say in verse number six, uh, verse number five, then cometh he to a city of Samaria. Verse six, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary with his journey, sat thus on the well. It was about the six hours in the middle of the day. Verse 7, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Now, that was unusual. You say, what's so unusual about a woman coming to the well to draw water? Nothing. Except that she came in the middle of the day all by herself. And by the times, it was a cultural event for all the women of Samaria to bring their water pots early in the morning and come to the well. And boy, they would draw that water. And it was a social event. So they would stand around that well. They would socialize. And, and they would talk and talk and talk. Now it's just changed in 2,000 years. Amen. Just kidding. Uh, but they would socialize. It was a social event. But the Bible says that this woman did not come with the rest of the women early on in the morning. She came in the middle of the day all by herself. You say, why did she not join the rest of the women in the early morning hours? Apparently she wasn't welcome to join the rest of the women in the early morning hours. Because the life that she had lived, and we're about to see that, because of the life that she had lived, she would probably rather not go there and receive their glares. She would probably not rather not get close enough to overhear their, their slanderous whispers about her. So she just assumed come in the middle of the day. But when she got here to the well on this day, there was somebody waiting for her. And that was Jesus. Can I say this about Jesus? Jesus walks in when everybody else walks out. I said, Jesus walks in when everybody else walks out. I say this tonight. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, He's the dearest friend that you'll ever have. Jesus says, I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee. He's the dearest friend you'll ever have. Hey, people will disappoint you, won't they? Hey, people will hurt you. People will turn their backs on you. But Jesus is the dearest friend that you'll ever have in this life. And so she gets there that day. She meets Jesus at the well. And Jesus says to her, in verse 7, he says, give me to drink. Now in verse 9, she starts to trip out. Notice what it says here in verse number 9. 
Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. She says, Wait a second, Jesus, you can't be doing this. You can't be talking to me out here in public. I mean, you're a man, and I'm a woman, and you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. You can't do this, but Jesus is going to break all the cultural rules to bring this woman the salvation and the grace that she needed. Amen. And in verse number 10, this is his response back to hear her. Here's what we learned. We learned three truths about salvation from verse number 10. Now think about it. Jesus and this woman were standing next to a well, and about 100 feet down that well was everyday water. is everyday drinking water, and Jesus is going to use that water in that well as a simple illustration of salvation. And the first, excuse me this morning, the first truth we learned about salvation in verse number 10 is this, the gift of salvation. The gift of salvation. The Bible says, if thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that said to thee, give me a drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The first truth we learn about salvation is this. Salvation is a gift. Salvation uh, is a gift. Boy, I hate religion. You say, preacher, did you just hear what you said? I mean, you're a preacher in the church on a Sunday morning. You just, I heard what I just said, and I'll say it again. I hate religion. Religion is all about a sinful man trying to get to a holy God, but salvation and the gospel and Christianity and the Bible, it's all about a holy God trying to get to sinful man. Religion says you've got to jump through a bunch of hoops and you've got to follow a bunch of rules and go through this ritual and that ritual. Listen to me, no amount of self-effort will ever get you to heaven. No amount of religion, no baptism, no church, no pastor, no preacher will ever get you to heaven. Listen, there's not a list long enough, there's not a ladder tall enough that'll get you to heaven. Salvation is a gift. This summer, we every year, well, the past several summers, we've gone to South Texas to preach at uh, Camp Lolita Vida, right there on the border of uh, uh, Edinburgh, Texas. And the, uh, the camp director there, his name is uh, John Mendoza. He's a dear friend of mine. And uh, we had, we got there this past summer, and we were talking about uh, the subject of Apple Watches that come up. And for a while, I've been wanting an Apple Watch, and, and I'm not one of these high-tech gurus that's all into it. But if you can make a phone call from a wristwatch like Inspector Gadget, come on now, that's pretty cool. And so I thought to myself, I didn't need one, but I wanted one. And so we were standing around Monday of camp, and it was just the guys in the office talking, and the subject of Apple Watches had come up. And I just said, and passed them, man, I look forward to getting one of those and look real, real neat, or whatever. And so we preached the week of camp, Friday night, preached the last service of camp, and afterwards, Brother John came to me, and he said, hey, Taylor, I got a gift for you in my office on the desk. I said, a gift? He said, yes, go check. And I walked into his office, and sure enough, on his desk, there was a gift bag sitting there. I said, Brother John, what is it? He said, it's like, just open it. And I walked over, and I opened and pulled out a long white box that said, Apple Watch. I said, Brother John, you did it. He says, it's a gift. I want you to have it. Now, think about it. I didn't work for it. Somebody else did. I didn't pay for it. Somebody else did. You say, what'd you do? Well, I took it. Here it is. Amen. I mean, listen, that's what you do with a gift. You simply take this. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friend, when Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his sinless red blood, it was to pay for every sin you've ever committed, past, 
present, future sin was paid for by Jesus on the cross. And in fact, on the cross, he did not say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. Amen. Everything that needed to be done was done by Jesus for you on the cross of Calvary so that you could go to heaven. And today, he provided a gift, but it's up to you to receive the gift. Just because he provided me the Apple Watch, it would have sat there and stayed on the desk unless I went over and took it and received it. And this morning, if you're going to be saved, though the gift is provided, though the gift is offered, you have to make a decision to receive the gift for yourself. You say, how do I receive the gift? Well, the text tells us. It says again in verse 10, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that said to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him. <laughs> You want to be forgiven this morning? Ask. Amen. You want to go to heaven one day when you die? Ask. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when you come to the place in your life and you realize that you are a sinner and that you nothing you can do will ever save you, but only Jesus Christ can save you, and you transfer your dependence off of your good works, off of your baptism, off of your track record, off of your own self-effort, off of yourself, and you put your soul dependence on Jesus Christ alone and his finished work on the cross of Calvary, on that moment you'll be saved. Amen. And all you have to do this morning is simply ask. Ask him to be your Savior. Number one, the gift of salvation. Number two, we see the giver of salvation. The giver of salvation. He goes on to say in verse 10, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that said to thee, Give me the dream, thou wouldest ask, ask of him, and he would have given thee living Water. Look, there's not many saviors in this world. There is one savior in this world, and his name is Jesus. Uh, my dear friend, his name is Brian Sams. He's been here before. He's a dear friend of your pastor as well. And he's been in Jacksonville, Florida, about two, I don't know, two, two and a half years now, pastoring down there. And I've been to his church about two or three times now. Uh, one time we were in the Carolinas, and I drove down south uh, and into Jacksonville, Florida, to be with him. Uh, one time I flew out of Dallas Love Field. I flew into the Jacksonville Airport to spend a week with him. Uh, listen, there's many different ways to get to Jacksonville, Florida, and that works for Jacksonville, Florida, uh, but that does not work for heaven. There are not many ways to heaven. There is one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way. He didn't say I am a way. He didn't say I am one of many ways. He says I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given among men under heaven, whereby we must be saved. There's one Savior in this world, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen. Thirdly, we see the guarantee of salvation. Not just the gift of salvation, the giver of salvation. We see the guarantee of salvation. Now notice the woman's response in verse number 11. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Watch it now. She don't get it. She's thinking physical, but Jesus ain't talking physical. Jesus is talking spiritual. She came to get that everyday water, but Jesus came to give her everlasting water. But notice what happens in verse number 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. In other words, lady, you're going to drink from the well of this water. It'll satisfy you today, but you'll be back again thirsty again tomorrow. That's right. Well, that was, that was a story of her life, wasn't it? Yeah. 
We're about to see she had tried. She had drank from many of the wells of the world that the world had to offer. She had been in many different relationships. She had tried sin, and yet there was still a thirsting and an emptiness and a void on the inside. Boy, so you know exactly what I'm talking about this morning, because that's exactly the story of your life as well. Some of you, there's a void in your life. There's an emptiness in your life. There's a thirsting in your life, and you tried sin. You tried drugs. You tried alcohol. You tried relationships with men and women. Come on now. You tried making money. You tried of the corporate ladder, you tried popularity and toys and prestige, come on now, and yet you're still empty on the inside, you're still thirsty on the inside, you're still not satisfied in the inside, I'm telling you what you need is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the joy that you're looking for that you can't find out in that world, you can find it in Jesus, the happiness that you're looking for that you can't find out there, you can find it in Jesus, the purpose for living that you can't find out there, you can find it in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, my soul. He's everything you need. Listen, there's a hole in your heart. There's a God-shaped hole in your heart that nothing else in this world will fill except God himself. He satisfies the thirsty soul. He satisfies the thirsty heart. So notice what goes on in the conversation here. But the Bible says, but verse, verse 14, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him. Watch it now. He's not talking about that everyday water and that well. He's talking about that everlasting water. He's thinking of the salvation that only Jesus Christ can give. Whosoever shall drink of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. He says, if you get a drink of the water that I shall give you, you will never thirst again. And here in regards to salvation, here's what he means. Once you're saved, hey, you are always Safe. Aren't you thankful for the guarantee of salvation? Jesus says, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. He's the one that will satisfy your heart. Aren't you thankful for that? It's the guarantee of salvation. But notice what happens in verse 15. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She still don't get it. Watch it now. At least she wants what he's offering. In other words, she's not there yet, but she's getting closer. She hadn't gone all the way there yet, but she's coming. That's where some of you are at. You haven't been saved yet, but you're getting closer. Can I say this to those of you that are seeking? You better keep on coming to church. You better keep on reading the Bible. You better keep on asking questions. It won't be long before the light turns on and you're going to understand. You're going to say, I need to. By the way, aren't you thankful that Jesus was patient with this woman, Christian? Not everybody's going to be saved the first time you witness to them. In fact, you're not going to save anybody. It's the Holy Spirit. Paul says, no man come unto the Father except the Spirit draw him. Except the Holy Spirit works in someone's heart, they will never be saved. And he goes on to say in verse 16, Jesus, here, here's the interesting part. It takes a turn right here. So she says, sir, I, I want what you have. She doesn't fully understand it, but she says, sir, I want what you have. 16 says, Jesus saith unto her, go and call thy husband and come hither. You say, that was weird. What's that all about? He says, go and call your husband and come hither. She says, oh, I have no husband. Jesus says, I know you've had five. And the man you're living with now, you're not married to. Whoa. How he understands that would have been pretty shocking. You may say, how so? All of a sudden she realizes she's standing in the presence of a man who knows everything about her. And 
Let me tell you something. That same Jesus knows everything about you as well. Every simple thought that you've ever entertained in your mind, every simple word that's ever come out of your mouth, every simple deed that you've ever committed that no one else knows about except you. There's one other person God knows about your sin. The Bible says, for the eyes of the Lord, uh, behold the evil and the good. God knows all about it. The things that no one else knows about in your life, God knows about it. Can you just imagine that? You say, why in the world would God do that to our, I mean, think about it. All of a sudden, the sin, uh, the, the, the guilt, and the shame is rising up within her. Watch it now. She's probably not making eye contact anymore. Right. Probably staring at the ground, filled with, 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 gay, uh, with, with guilt, uh, filled with shame. You say, why would Jesus do that to her? Listen to me. He was making her thirsty. See, before you can go to heaven, you've got to realize you're going to hell. Before you can be saved, you have to realize that you are a sinner in need of salvation. You know what we call this? We call this Holy Ghost conviction. And listen to me, no conviction, no conversion. No conviction and no conversion. And until the Holy Spirit turns the light on and shows you and makes you aware of your own sinfulness and your need for a Savior, you will never be safe. So here she is in her shame and her guilt. And watch now, Jesus doesn't leave her there. Notice it says in that verse, two words. It says, go, call thy husband, and come hither. Go and come. Listen to me. Go was the conviction. Come was the compassion. Go was the truth. Come was the grace. So there she is in her guilt and shame, but Jesus doesn't leave her there. He opens his arms up, and he says, come unto me. Was an evangelist. That's my favorite word. That's a four-letter invitation word of the Bible. And over and over again, that's the invitation of Jesus to sinners. He says, come, come. Come, come now. Let us reason together. Though your sins be a scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. The Bible says, come, and I will give you rest. The Bible says, the Spirit and the bride rise up, and they say, come. Whosoever will may come. That's the invitation of the Bible. And right now, if you're here lost in your sin, I mean, you have a past. You've done things that nobody else knows about. You have shame and you have guilt. Now, see us today. There is a welcome mat on the front door of heaven. And God says, whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may come. And you may be in your guilt and shame today, but Jesus says, come, and I will forgive you, and I will cleanse you, and I will make you whole again. I'll erase your past. I know about your sin, but I love you anyway. I want you to thank you for the love of God. Friends, and I come this morning, come to Jesus and be saved. Here's the miracle of salvation. God can take a black heart, wash it in his red blood, and make it white as snow. God can wash away every sin you ever committed. Uh, your sinful past can be erased, and you can start all over again today. It goes on to say this, verse number 17, uh, verse, uh, verse number 19. The Lord saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers, blah, 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 blah. what she do there? Watch it now. She changed the subject. All of a sudden, Jesus started getting a little too close to home. And that made her uncomfortable, and so she changes the subject and starts talking about religion. Excuse me, Jesus didn't come to talk about religion. Can Jesus came to talk about a relationship? But she begins to change the subject. How many times have you been witnessing to somebody, maybe a friend or a family member or a co-worker, and boy, you get them down to get ready to make that decision to call upon Christ, and all of a sudden they start talking about something out in left field. What are they doing? Changing the subject. What is she doing? She's evading. She's avoiding. She's running from the conviction. I preached at camp here several summers ago, not too far from here, just north of here, actually. And it was in Cold Spring, Texas. It was not cold in the Rural Springs there. That's what it was called that summer. And so uh, we went there, and there was a young lady who came from a church here, uh, close church, uh, close to y'all. 
And this young lady had visited that church off and on for about an entire year. And every time she'd come to church, whenever she would, during the, the preaching would begin, and she would get up out of her seat, she would walk out to the lobby and stand in the lobby. After several times of that, the pastor finally realized this young lady is under conviction and she needs to be saved. And so the pastor gathered the church together and they started praying for that young lady. They invited her to come to camp that summer. She came. I mean, Monday, she showed up at the church camp wearing a Beatles shirt. Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, amen. And so Monday night, there she is in church camp. And boy, that night, we, we preached just an introductory message. And that night, watch now, she lifted up her eyes and she was glued into the preaching that night. Now, I didn't know any of that when I just told you until I, well, I found out after the service. The pastor filled me in on that. And she said, he said, well, I've never seen her tune into the preaching uh, like that before. And again, it had nothing to do with me. You understand that? Uh, she was just glued in. Afterwards, she went back to the cabin and told a friend who brought her, she says, it's the first time God has ever spoken to me. Second night, she came back and preached a hard message on sin. And that night, she raised her hand, admitting that she needed to be saved, but did not respond to the invitation. Wednesday night, we preached the gospel message, gave the gospel invitation. And that night, as the music began, she raised her body. And she walked in and out, and she came down to an altar, and they took a Bible, and they showed that young lady how to be saved. Listen to me. As long as you run for the conviction of God, you'll never be saved. But the day you start running from Jesus, and you begin to run to Jesus, that'll be the day. That she gets saved. Amen. Let's close it out right here. The Bible says in verse number 25, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah uh, cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Verse number 28, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things, and ever I did, is not this the Christ. Hey, on that day in John chapter 4, she went to the well for everyday water, but she left with everlasting water. She left knowing Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. So my question for you this morning is this, are you thirsty? If you, may I say this? Jesus is still at the well this morning. And if you would come in with a thirsty heart and a thirsty soul, he would fill the void in your heart. He would forgive you of your sin, your past, and you could start all over again today. Can I give you one illustration of salvation? I want to make it crystal clear, and I'll be done this morning. My pastor has two sons. And when they were younger, he was trying to put the gospel of salvation on a level that they could understand. And so he said, boys, I want you to go give me two white t-shirts. They ran off, got two white t-shirts, brought them back. They laid them out on the table. He laid one aside. He, he laid the other one flat on the table. He said, now, boys, go give me a, a black Sharpie marker. So they ran off and got a black Sharpie marker. And uh, he, they brought it back. And he said, now, start naming these sins. Start naming some sins. And they started saying lying and cheating and disobeying. And he started writing out those sins all over that white T-shirt, that black marker. He filled the T-shirt up with sins. He then took that sinful shirt and placed it on his younger son, Cole. And he said, Cole, you're going to be the sinner. He then took the perfectly white shirt and placed it on his older son, Kyle. He said, let's just pretend you're going to be Jesus. He then took Jesus upstairs with him and said, let's just pretend that this is heaven and this, I'm God and you're Jesus. And he left the, the sinner at the bottom of the stairs. He said, uh, Sarah, Cole, would you like to come up to heaven with me and Jesus? He said, oh, yes. He went to take that first step and he said, oh, no, you can't come up to heaven because of your sin. Excuse me, we can't go to heaven because of our sin. You say, I'm not as bad as he is. I'm not as bad as she is. You realize the Bible says in the book of James, whosoever keepeth the whole law, yet offended one point, is guilty of all. All it takes is one sin to disqualify you from heaven and to destiny you to hell. All of a sudden, them brown eyes started to well up with tears. And he said, but he said, wait a second. 
And he turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, he said, I have a plan. He says, Jesus, I want you to go down there. Hey, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came down here. And when he got there, he says, now I want you to switch shirts. And there, that old sinful shirt was taken off the sinner and placed on Jesus. And that sinless shirt was taken off the Jesus and placed on the sinner. Hey, 2,000 years ago, there was an exchange of the cross of Calvary. And all of your sin was placed on Jesus. And God punished Jesus for your sin. In fact, the Bible says he made him. God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And that day at Calvary, Jesus did not become a sinner. Sin was not put in Jesus. The Bible says that sin was placed on Jesus, and that was your sin and my sin. And God poured out His wrath and put in Jesus for your sins and for my sins. He was buried in a tomb. Three days later, He rose again from the grave. He's alive today. And when you realize that you're a sinner and you cannot get to heaven apart from Jesus Christ, and you turn to Him and receive Him as your personal Savior, at that moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says you receive the white shirt. The Bible calls it the imputed righteousness. That means all the sin was put on Jesus' account, and the moment you receive Him, His righteousness and His goodness and His sinlessness is put on your account, and that's when you receive the white shirt. And at that moment of your salvation, God no longer sees you as a sinner. Now He sees you as a saint. And then and only then, once you receive the white shirt, then one day when you die, you'll go to heaven. And when you stand before God, you will not stand there in your own sin and unrighteousness. You'll stand before Him clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. That's Bible salvation. Amen. I don't know what you have, but if it's not that, then friend, I'm telling you, you're not going to go to heaven one day. You need the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. You say, how do I receive that? You call on Him as a sinner and ask Him to be your Savior. And if you've never made that decision today, then in just a moment, we're going to give you that opportunity. And we would love to show you from the Bible how you, you can receive Christ today as your Savior. Father, we love you today. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, regardless of how sinful this woman at the well had been, her sinful lifestyle, Lord, the her sin was great, your grace was greater. And she was forgiven that day. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning and say, Preacher, if I were to die right now, I know that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. I have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm going to heaven. If that's you, would you please raise your hand this morning? I know that. Praise the Lord for you. Many hands. Thank you. Maybe you're here today and you say, Preacher, why? I couldn't raise my hand to that question because I don't know. Let me say this to you as, uh, this to you as a friend. There was a time in every single one of our lives we couldn't raise our hand either because we didn't know. But one day we came to a church service just like this. We heard what you heard this morning. And at the end of that church service, someone gave us an opportunity to make that decision. And we took advantage of that opportunity. And we asked Christ into our hearts and lives. And all we want to do today is give you that same opportunity. If you're here today and just say, Preacher, would you remember me today in prayer? I'm not sure that I'm going to heaven. I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not sure that my sins have been forgiven. Would you pray for me? Preacher, remember me in prayer. If that's you, would you lift up your hand this morning? Preacher, I don't know that I'm going to heaven. Pray for me. I don't know that I'm going to heaven. Pray for me, preacher. I don't know that I'm saved. Maybe here today as a Christian, you met Jesus at that well many years ago, but maybe you found yourself going back to the wells of the world trying to find satisfaction and joy. Maybe this morning as a Christian, you need to come back with your relationship with the Lord. Father, leave us this time of invitation in Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's go ahead and sit on our feet this morning. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, as the piano begins to play, and God's going to your heart this morning, won't you come and uh, uh, make use of the altar down here and spend some time with the Lord. And if you're here this morning and say, Preacher, I'm not sure that I'm saved, but I'd like to know that, won't you come and step out just now? And we'll take a Bible and sit down with you and show you from the Scriptures how to be saved. Maybe you're confused about something. We'd love to answer your questions this morning. As the music begins to play, the invitation begins. You can come and do business with the Lord.